You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Tonight's reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. A nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, would you please now use your word in our hearts that we might experience your sure and steadfast love in new and unforeseen ways. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Isaiah 55. Guys, I am so thankful to be here today, really thankful. If you don't know me, I'm a church planter raised up and sent out by Desert Springs Church and then later adopted by Christ Church, sent out to Africa with my family with the charge to preach the gospel among Muslims and by God's grace to see new converts gather into churches. My wife and I both have jobs there. Our kids go to school there, and we're hoping to return there in the next few weeks. We're in Isaiah 55 this afternoon, and I've known for a while that I'd be preaching at Christ Church today, and I was having trouble picking a passage. And a friend of mine asked me, what passage would you preach if you were in Africa right now, preaching to a group of Muslims? And I've been in Isaiah this whole summer, and immediately Isaiah 55 came to mind. Thankfully, it not only speaks to Muslims, 
on that side of the world, but to all sorts of people, including whoever might be hearing these words right now. A few years ago, I met a young man named Zeke. Zeke was the manager of the service department of the auto dealership where I get my oil changed. And every few months I'd see him and we eventually struck up a friendship. And one day I noticed his haircut and I thought how legit it looked. So I said, you've got a pretty legit haircut. And he said, yeah, it's pretty war, isn't it? War means awesome in our local language. He said, I'll take you to my guy. So a few nights later, he takes me to his guy. It's one of the poorest neighborhoods in our city. And his barber only starts cutting, starts cutting hair at 10 p.m. So needless to say, he was a little bit too edgy for me. His haircut's a little too fashion forward for this dad bod sporting accountant. Uh, But nevertheless, I went and Zeke and I sat and talked for about an hour while we waited for my turn to get a haircut. We talked about religion, about what I believed, and about what he believed. It was a very respectful conversation. Thankfully, there was no shouting or gesticulating as is common uh, in our part of the world when we talk about religion. But at one point, he explained to me about the angels that Muslims believe to be on their shoulders. Now, you've probably seen this on a cartoon, but in Islam, it's actually a real thing. He said that there is one on your right shoulder that writes down all of the good deeds that you do onto a scroll. And then there's one on your left shoulder that writes all the bad deeds that you do onto a scroll. So I interject and say, oh, right. And then at the end of time, there's a big scale and they put the two scrolls on it. And if you have enough good deeds, then you go into heaven, right? And he's like, yeah, that's exactly it. I was like, well, I would have no hope. Like with all the mean things that I've thought throughout my life, there's just no way that I could ever get into heaven. I say this in hopes that he would see how dire humanity's situation is. Yeah, he says, except that You didn't know this, that the one on the right who writes down all the good things, he actually has power over the one on the left that writes all the bad things down. So that if you have a bad intention, like let's say you hate somebody and you wanna go kill them, if you have a bad intention, the one on the right shoulder says to the one on the left shoulder, hey, hold on a second, let's actually see if he follows through with it. Because the only way that He's going to write it down as if you follow through with it. So I said, well, what about the good intentions? Are they recorded? Yeah, he says. So so you're telling me that the good intentions are written down on this scroll that's weighed at the end of time, but your bad intentions are not? He said, yeah. I said, well, that makes it pretty easy. He goes, it does. And he smiled. Well, Zeke wants to please God. He lives within a belief system where his work is the basis of God's favor toward him. We can say that he thirsts for the goodness that God gives. But he doesn't know that as our passage states today, God's ways are very different than our ways. His ways are much higher than our ways. Zeke, like all of us, needs to hear that those who thirst must turn to the Lord to experience his sure and steadfast love. Our passage today addresses a few different types of people, and I expect that any of us listening will relate to one or more of these categories. First, it addresses those who are placing their trust in governments 
and earthly powers over and against the true God, as personified in King Ahaz, which we'll see here in a moment. Secondly, those who in rebellion against God are intentionally sinning in ways that displease him, such as all of the nations surrounding God's people in Isaiah's day. And thirdly, it addresses those who, like Zeke, think that they can reach God on their own, by their own effort. And we will call this category the self-reliant. So as we consider these different groups, think about your own life. How might the Lord be addressing you today? Isaiah was a prophet to God's people about 250 years after King David sat on the throne and about 750 years before the birth of Christ. God's people at this time were divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And Isaiah was a prophet to that southern kingdom. Throughout his tenure as prophet, the kings of Judah are having to deal with constant threats of other nations coming and wanting to invade Judah and end Ahaz's reign. Isaiah, whose name in Hebrew means the Lord saves, is shown throughout the book to be calling these kings to trust in the Lord their God. Ahaz is one of the kings in Isaiah's day and is a particularly good example of this first category of people that our chapter today speaks to. So Ahaz, this is what's happening. Ahaz hears that there are two countries that are in alliance against him to come and take over his kingdom. The Lord, through Isaiah in chapter 7, tells King Ahaz, do not fear. Trust in the Lord who is going to protect his people. His plans are sure. But instead, King Ahaz, in direct contradiction to what God commanded, looks for something clear and tangible and immediate that might protect them from these two nations that want to invade. So what does he do? he calls up the Assyrian Empire to help him. And they happily agree and come and help, quote-unquote, Judah. And in the process, they take over, and Ahaz's kingdom becomes a puppet kingdom to the Assyrian Empire and later to the Babylonian Empire. Ahaz, in the face of danger, chose worldly means to protect Judah and did not trust in God's word. This setting is not too far from our own. What I'm not saying is that there's a one-to-one connection between Israel and America. Israel and Judah were God's people then. America has God's people in it as represented through the church. But I notice my own tendencies and the tendencies of others around me to too quickly trust in or inordinately trust in political systems when things are looking dire. Whether the fear is cultural Marxism, impending hyperinflation, divisive political tactics, or any one of a number of front burner issues that are facing our church or our country, I wonder how quick we are to hear Isaiah when he says, as he did to Ahaz, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint, trust me. Let's look at Isaiah 55.3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. When Ahaz feared invasion from these invading kingdoms, he went straight to the most powerful entity he could find. 
When you fear about the future, where do you go? To whom do you incline your ear? Do you look for comfort in a political party? Do you go to a website? Is there certain podcast you listen to? Where do you find solace in crazy times? God is calling us to listen to his word, to incline our ears to what he is saying. Friends, this passage is for us. Another type of person our passage speaks to is to the rebellious, the ungodly person or nation, like those nations that were surrounding Judah. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 7, where he is addressing this category of people. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. In Isaiah's day, the nations that surrounded God's people lived without reference to God. They didn't have hundreds of years of Judeo values as Judah did or Judeo-Christian values as much of the West has. No, they lived serving despots and physical idols that represented some of the worst of human depravity. Isaiah's call would be addressing those outside of God's people when he tells them, let the wicked forsake his way, let the unrighteous man his thoughts. But also in Isaiah's day, as in ours, there were wicked people among those who claimed to be God's people. So this call to repentance that we see in verse seven is directed at both those outside of Israel and those within God's people. Was there wickedness? that needs to be repented of in the church? Could Isaiah 55, seven be speaking to us? For sure. Paul in the New Testament, when writing to Christians, would sometimes include lists of wicked behavior that these particular Christians needed to be reminded not to participate in. Galatians five includes one such list. Let's turn to Galatians five and read this together. Galatians 5:19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh, verse 19, now the works of the flesh, as opposed to the works of the spirit, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Can that be repented of in the church? Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, treating or believing that someone else is your enemy. Strife. Is there strife among husbands and wives? Parents to children? Children to children? Jealousy. Fits of anger. At work? At home? Rivalries? Dissensions? Divisions? Are there divisions among us? Envy? Drunkenness? Friends, in a town like Albuquerque that loves beer, don't downplay this. Whether you find yourself today identifying as a Christian or not, these sins are an affront to God. And Isaiah says we must forsake them. Friends, this passage is for us. Who else needs to hear this passage today? Also, the self-reliant. Let's turn to Isaiah 55, 1. Let's look at who's invited. He says in Isaiah 55, one, come, he who has no money, come, buy without money and without price. Are these people self-reliant? No, they don't have any money. But let's see who he chastises in verse two. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, 
and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Those who have no money are told to come and buy. But those who are trying to buy what their soul desires are chastised. Many of us have grown up in Christian traditions that have taught us that reconciliation to God is a gift freely given. Thank the Lord, that is true and it's wonderful. But we have wrongly been taught, thankfully not in this church, that staying in his good favor afterward requires us to just really try hard to live good moral living. And if we can just live morally, then we will be in God's good favor. A subtle example of this would be an experience I had for much of my life. I come to church on Sundays and be weighed with the guilt of sins during the week or even in the car ride to church. I would not sing because I knew myself to be hypocritical and unworthy of enjoying God. On the other hand, if I understood myself to be relatively unpolluted by the stain of sin on a certain Sunday, I'd engage God with vigor and singing. I understood my relationship with God to be based on my performance. If I was particularly sinful in my mind that week, I didn't deserve to eat God's good food. If I was particularly righteous in my eyes that week, I deserved to eat the rich food that he was giving. Another example of this would be a Muslim like Zeke. He understands his relationship and good standing with God to be based on how well he performs. He labors and labors and labors to buy food for his soul and it never satisfies. And what is worse is that he and the culture around him have devised a system that inoculates their hearts to the dangers of sin. His bad thoughts and motives are not counted against him and his religion says that some good deeds would have a multiplying effect on that Scroll that has all the good deeds, on, good deeds on it. So if he does certain good deeds, it just multiplies and weighs it down in the end. The end result is that a quarter of the world's population, Muslims, are laboring to buy what never satisfies and are spending the spiritual capital that they believe they have earned to buy God's favor. But God doesn't work that way. Only those who have no money may come. Only those who know their poverty may sit at the table. And only those who trust the character of a generous God will find a delight at that table. Friends, this passage is for Muslims. And it's for us. Well, now that we can hopefully see that God was not only talking to a people 3,000 years ago, but that he is talking through Isaiah to us, let us turn our attention to what the content of this message that he is giving is. We'll see that it culminates in verses six and seven with a call to repentance. So let's trace his argument here. Isaiah 55, one, first we have this food and drink metaphor. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In verse one, he invites us to come and drink at the waters, then to buy and eat, and then he says to buy wine and milk. These are two drinks that would represent opulence and luxury. So we can see intuitively that this isn't literal, right? He's telling us to come to himself and that there are very good things for you when you do come to God. In him, there are experiences that you will enjoy. Verse two, 
In verse 2, the imagery changes a little when he says to listen diligently to me and eat. So now he links all those good experiences in verses 1 and 2 of eating and drinking, wine and milk, rich food, to listening. Verse 3 further says, incline your ear and come. So the coming in verse 1 is linked to the inclining your ear here. And Isaiah is saying that the life, the good experiences that you seek, are found in listening to God. Well, the next element of the invitation occurs in verse 6. Now we find what it is that God is saying we must listen to. Here is the word we must incline our ear to. Here is what verse 3 says we are to hear so that our soul may live. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return or turn to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Friends, this is the message to the one who, like Ahaz, does not trust in the promises of God. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. May our first and primary consolation to the woes of this world not be political answers. May we seek the Lord now while he may be found. There will be a day when his patience will give way to judgment. Do not spurn his offer. Draw near now while you have the chance. To those enslaved to sin, choosing what is not honoring to God, hear the Lord say to you, forsake your wicked ways. Abandon your unrighteous thoughts. Turn to the Lord and he will have compassion on you and abundantly pardon. What amazing news, right? That we who rebel against our creator might find one so compassionate and patient with people like us. And to the self-reliant, how might they heed this call to turn to the Lord? We can surely say that those refusing God's offer of food for their souls by demanding to pay for it themselves is wicked in his sight. Like my refusing to take pleasure in the Lord unless I had a week of righteous living to bring to the table to purchase his goodness with. No. As we shall now see, God has purchased it all and wants to give to those who know that they are needy and who delight in the fact that God is generous. So what happens when we listen diligently, verse 2, and respond to God's word, which is verses 6 and 7? We have the answer in verses 10 and 11. In Isaiah 55, 10, God says, just as I send rain, and it always provides growth on this earth, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In this case, to the humble person who turns to God, whether you are trusting inordinately in governmental solutions to our problems, whether you're rebelling against him, or whether you have just sought to justify yourself before him, 
When you turn back and believe in his word, his word supernaturally brings, in, brings you into an eternal relationship with him through Jesus. That is the purpose of his call to repentance and trust. Look at verse three, Isaiah 55, three. Those who listen diligently, those who incline their ear and respond to God's word, what happens? He brings them into his everlasting covenant with David. So David was the king some 250 years earlier, but God made a covenant or a promise with him that he would establish his throne forever. That one of his descendants would reign eternally and that God's steadfast, sure love would always be on him. We know this now to be Jesus. He, being from the line of David, is the eternal king that was promised a thousand years before his birth. In verse three, God is saying that those who respond to his word and repent or turn away from worldly systems, rebellion against him, or self-reliance, will enter into that promise of being in, in God's sure and steadfast love forever. Do we feel the weight of this? You can enter into God's sure and steadfast love. You might say, well, how can this be? It sounds a little bit capricious of God. What about all the wrong things that people do? What about a murderer? Murder can just turn and be with God, and that's it? All he has to do is turn? Is God not just? Well, the wonderful thing about Isaiah 55 is that it comes right on the heels of some of the most famous prophecies of Isaiah about Jesus in Isaiah 52 and 53. Let's look at Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah, prophesying about this one who is to come, says, surely he, who we know now to be Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So God has smitten, since smote. God hit, hit this one, right? God has hit this one and afflicted this one. Verse five, but he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah was prophesying of one who would be punished and crushed for the wickedness of those who have turned to him. The one Isaiah is prophesying about is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, an historical man who truly lived on this earth. He was both fully man and fully God. Our infinitely detestable rebellion against this infinitely holy God had to have a sacrifice of infinite worth. And this was the God-man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says that after he took this punishment, after he was on the cross, died on the cross, was buried, raised, defeating death, after he was raised to life, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. And Isaiah 55, three says that there is an eternal steadfast love between God the Father and Jesus. This is what those who turn to God are brought into. And this is how we enter into that sure and steadfast love. 
by turning to him and seeking forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice. But it continues past that initial entering. We are to come drink water and wine and milk, the richest of foods, the richest of fare. How do we do that? Well, it's given to those who come to purchase on God's account. So come to God empty-handed and purchase food for your soul. If you're a Christian, Come to him on Sundays expecting to be satisfied. Come to him daily with boldness based on what Jesus has accomplished. Listen to his word, know it, and respond to it. Isaiah 55, 4. This is the message that we will be bringing to the nations, that we do bring to the nations, and that Isaiah expected would go to all the nations. Look at verse four. God has made this David figure, from verse three, God has made this David figure, Jesus Christ, the leader and commander of all peoples. Verse five, behold, you, this David figure, you, Jesus, shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Friends, nations and peoples are running to him because God is glorifying him. He's calling all people unto himself. This is where history is headed. John's vision of the future in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, he says, after this, seeing what's happening in the future, he says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they're clothed in white, and there's palm branches in their hands, and they're saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where it's all headed. God willing, just a few weeks, we'll be returning to Africa, and this is the message that we will be bringing to them. We're gonna tell them, don't spend your money on that which doesn't satisfy. God is different than us. His ways are different than our ways. We know that in every relationship you have ever had, you must work to obtain favor. But God is wholly unlike us. He offers love that that you can enter into now and experience now. It is that everlasting, sure love that has existed between the God the Father and God the Son for all of eternity. So turn from your present path and come to the waters of God's love. Tomorrow morning, you will have a choice to make. Will you go to God's word and seek comfort? Will you find his promises and believe on them? Will you go back to the broken cisterns of comfort that just barely give you enough to keep going? I plead with you, as you thirst, come to the living waters of God's word. Spend time with him. He will satisfy you. Let's pray. Lord, each one of us listening to your word today are people who thirst. We're hungry and thirsty for the food that would refresh our souls. You give us that food in your word. As we consider your call to turn from our self-reliance 
You're called to turn from our trust in worldly powers. You're called to turn from outright disobedience. As we consider that call, would you please create in us what your word intends? Soft hearts that can see your invitation to come and dine and who want it. Lord, spring within us a desire to eat at your table, glorying in your steadfast, sure, generous love. Love purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is in his name and by his power that we ask these things. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.